Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, I guess one of the great things about hosting a podcast, and especially on my own uh, in solo, is the ability to choose uh, what I'm going to cover in terms of subject matter and content. And also sometimes to choose when I go live as well. So thank you very much for a couple of people who've pointed out that this episode is uh, is going to be released 24 hours later than normal. Uh, but uh, it's just one week late. Um, it just wasn't up to it yesterday, I guess, is the honest answer. But what I want to talk to you about today is going large. So let's go large, shall we? Now, not the sort of large fries in a large drink that you might get at a fast food outlet. I'm talking about doing bigger property deals, that kind of large. And the basis of this episode, as you're going to hear, is a conversation that I had with Mike Hambright, who, if you remember, was also a guest on my podcast a couple of weeks ago in the Property Heavyweight series. And uh, I actually gave an interview on his podcast, which is uh, Investor Fuse or The Investor Fuse podcast, a couple of weeks ago as well. So I've taken an extract of that to share as part of the, the content today. But on top of that, I just want to come back with some f- further thoughts and uh, uh, insights, if you like, on the topic of uh, what it uh, it might take to do bigger property deals. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. One of the beauties of attaining financial freedom uh, in real estate, with real estate investing, or really with anything, is the ability to give you flexibility to think bigger, take bigger risks, try bigger things, right? Because once you get to a certain point, we're not saying this to brag anyone, but once you get to a point where I'm not worried about survival anymore, and I hate to use casino analogies because I don't think that what we do is all that risky. They're usually calculated risks, but you're kind of playing with the house's money. So I'm able to take bigger risks and try bigger things. And, and honestly, you just have the confidence to test bigger things or try bigger things too, right? And so I know that's, and truthfully, you know, you went from not investing in real estate to investing in four countries. And even in the US, you invest in multiple markets as well, right? And so it's just like, wow, if I can do that, if I can pull that off, and not that it all always works perfectly, I'm sure, but it just allows you to say, if I could do that, why can't I go to the next level, next level, next level, right? And so so kind of share your epiphany. Today we're going to talk about, I know, just kind of um, going bigger, thinking bigger, doing bigger things, and uh, like getting to the point to where um, you never think small or play small again, right? Which is how wealth is built, right? Yeah, but it's funny, you know, we're, we're all on a journey and um, we're all growing and developing uh, ourselves, you know, you and I both, you know, still today, just just because we've achieved a, a certain level of success and achievement or attainment, we still got things to learn. And ironically, before we had our first conversation, I had a rather long conversation with a lady who's helping me um, write write a book or at least um, promote a book that I'm I'm currently in the process of doing. And and she was playing back some things to me and challenging me in my own thought process about thinking bigger. And I was like, I thought I was already thinking bigger. 
And then she's challenging me to think bigger still. Uh, so, you know, what, what happens sometimes is we settle or we get in a comfort zone or we you sort of put some mental barriers uh, around our capabilities. And actually, just if we free them, you know, throw them away a little bit and start thinking a little bit laterally, we can go bigger again. And it, it does make sense to perhaps go in stages um, because, you know, things can go wrong. Uh, you know, if they go wrong with a big deal, uh, it could be it could be very costly. But um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm doing larger unit uh, developments at the moment and I'm doing, you know, I'm having these conversations with people and they're going, I, I want to do like 15 deals in the next two years. Do you think that's doable? I'm like, that's a lot of transactions. Just, you know, these are rehabs, as you would call them. So it's a lot of transactions. I said, my latest project is 15 in one. Um, you know, so I'm choosing one project. And I would say my workload is pretty much the same um, personally uh, as it, on the one which you know, is slightly less than 15 units, which is a similar size and ultimately. So my, my sort of pay rate, my average hourly rate or day rate for that larger transaction is, is an X factor bigger than it would have been on a single family home. Sure. So this person is going to do 15 transactions to get to their goals. Perhaps if they just elevated their thinking um, and could find a way, because we'll come on to how we can do this, but could find a way to um, think a bit bigger, they could get there a lot sooner and a lot with a lot less stress, hassle, uh, and, you know, mind space, really. Right, right. Yeah, there's no doubt. When I, when I you know, kind of post uh, corporate America, when I left there and got out of my own, um, you know, I guess we, there's like this box drawn around us when you're working for somebody else, right? Like, this is what we need you to do. And nobody ever says it, but it's almost by design. Like, don't don't think outside of the box, you know, too much, right? Just enough to get to the next box, <laughs> pretty much. And when you're out on your own, you know, one of the biggest realizations for me, and I have a, a, a son now that's 12, is, um, you know, my whole life, my family was very blue collar and hard workers and all those things but they thought the way to get ahead was to work harder, right? Physically harder or more time or whatever. That's how you get ahead. And I played that game for a long time, but I know it's about, I know now it's about being smarter and thinking outside of the box. And, you know, one of the biggest realizations I have for my son is uh, that there's so many ways to make money, right? It's not necessarily the traditional path. And so once you realize that the sky is the limit, um, then you start dreaming bigger and you start planning bigger, right? You do. And I think something else magical happens. Um, and it, it's really hard. You know, if you, if you read things like Napoleon Hill, you, you know, he talks about the power of the subconscious mind, um, you know, quite a lot. And you can read words like that and you go, what? <laughs> you know, but actually the, the mind, you know, you give the mind a problem and it's sort of programmed to solve the problem. So if you give it a big problem, um, I, I want to achieve this big goal or, you know, the, this outcome, and it doesn't know how, you know, you don't know how to do it. The mind subconsciously is starting to work on, on fixing the problem. And it can come up with the solution in your subconscious mind, you know, whether you're dreaming or whatever, or it can bring people into your path, you know, because you, you know, it's like when you, you're looking to buy a car, suddenly you see them everywhere, right? You know, so it just brings people into your path or it just starts your thought process working in a different way. And it's kind of a magical thing. It so is. sometimes to have that big goal, that big problem, because, you, you know, it's not quite a problem, but that big challenge, 
you know, it gets the subconscious mind working. And that, that's been a magical thing. But I'm still learning and developing that myself. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're a member of our Investor Fuel Mastermind. I, I think, uh, you know, you believe this too, is when you start to get around other people and you hear what they're doing, it's not, it's not a game of one-upping. It's just like you, when you hear that somebody did something and you're like, it just forces you to think bigger because you see or think differently, not necessarily bigger, sometimes how to solve a problem more creatively, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the power of mastermind. Around like-minded others, people that you respect, people that are charging hard, it forces you to up your game and think a little bit more about what you do and how you do it. It does. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I, 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 you probably know I didn't manage to make the last Investor Fuel event. Right. Um, uh, I was on a boat in, in, in a canal in, um, in Holland. Um, and I was getting these messages through. I've been allocated to an accountability group um, as a result of the, you know, the session. Investor like, what are these messages? I don't know what they are. You know, uh, I didn't really know it was an accountability group. And I said, listen, I can either sit quietly and not join in, or you could tell me what's going on and I can be more active. And, and uh, Jamie you know, quite kindly said, this is you know, your accountability goals for the next quarter. You know, three business goals, one personal goal. What are your sort of thing? It's like, you know, I could even like back up. I wasn't there, but I did. I was on the boat and I was like, I tapped them away. Right, these are my goals. And I put them out there and they're now in public. And by the way, they're stretched beyond, beyond what I was probably thinking I was going to do. Yep. So you're absolutely right. And guess what? People are going to hold me to account now as well, aren't they? So that's going to be good. And most importantly, you hold yourself more accountable, right? Yeah. 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 Awesome. So let's, let's talk about kind of going bigger and thinking bigger. And I know that uh, you wanted to go over um, some different ways to effectively uh, go bigger, think bigger. Yeah, um, I think th there's a lot of things we could talk about. One, one of the realizations I guess I had recently um, is, is, is the idea of, of capital. What is capital? And of course, in real estate, you know, you know, most people would think of capital as being financial capital. So that would be cash. It would be debt finance. It would be equity that comes in from ourselves or a third party. And of course, you know, it's a very capital intensive industry, as you well know, um, and it plays a major part, absolutely. And, and one of the things that, um, you know, is involved with going bigger, particularly if you're looking at larger real estate deals, is more cash or more financial capital to be able to go bigger. But, um, and, and so let, we can just pause on that a little bit, because one of the game changes for me in the last 18 months or so was, was two things. And one was being, having access to what I call development finance. I don't know if you have the same terminology. Um, so development finance is also funding. If you think about a real estate deal, you've got the property and you've got a rehab at a, in a single family home, or if it's a larger project, the development costs and all the fees, et cetera. Right, right. It's a big chunk of money. And often you need to fund the, the rehab costs and the extra costs out of cash. So if you go bigger, you need a lot of cash. So uh, one of the things I put into my subconscious mind, if you like, was, well, how can, how can I get access to more cash uh, to do bigger deals? And development finance is one of those vehicles. And you can get development finance from institutions, but you can also get development finance from private individuals or, you know, non-mainstream non institutions. Sure, sure. So that enabled me to scale. Um, and the second thing was uh, equity finance. So bringing in partners to the business, uh, essentially, who would bring you know, equity capital, risk capital into the business. So it wasn't always, you know, oftentimes it was me providing the equity capital. So I was saving and generating and 
hustling, I guess, to generate equity capital. And my, my limits were how much capital I could raise, which would determine how many deals I could do, which would determine my volume and my outcomes. So I started thinking about this and started basically attracting equity finance, attract, you know, qualifying and attracting for development finance, and suddenly doing deals 10x of what I was doing by having access to this financial capital. So financial capital is absolutely a major point in it. And I've just kind of relayed back to the whole subconscious mind thing and the mastermind and the connections and community. But I think it's not the only form of capital that we can utilize. Right. And so I don't know if you want me to quickly just sort of relay what those are. And we can drill into some if you think are sure, interesting. Yeah. Let's, let's just go over them and then we can kind of drill into each one if you want to. Might need to use my cheat sheet. But um, <laughs> to get in. So we've got financial capital, obviously. We've got knowledge capital, social capital, emotional or spiritual capital, systems capital, human capital, brand capital, and finally, natural capital. So that's the, the one you said, oh, brand, brand, okay. Brand capital. So, um, in fact, I can tell you another story from another conversation. I don't know if I can name check. Can I name check any other uh, Investor Fuel members? Sure, yeah. So, RJ. Um, RJ Bates, yep. RJ Bates, thanks. Uh, the third, I believe. He, yeah. <laughs> I met him the very first time I, met, I came on in the group, which is you know a few months ago now. First of all, he was the only person who connected with me on social media at, at, at there and then at the meeting. What was he using? Social capital. Then we had a conversation um, and I saw his presentation at the time and he talked about zero dollars marketing. And um, I said, what do you mean by zero dollars marketing? And he was basically saying leveraging social media to convey the message and and people attracted towards you as a result of that. And so this is the idea of social capital. So it's your network. It's, you know, people in your, in your reach through, you know, social media platforms, et cetera. Right. And, you know, most of them are free. Um, there's, there's no fee to pay or they could be low cost if it's like a institutional membership or something like that. And it's something that we can scale. And all we need to do is tell a story sometimes. Uh, and tell a story. People like stories. And, um, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, there's a guy recently who's doing videos on LinkedIn and he recently had an expandable ladder, you know, and he was going in his property and he's like, if you've got a high ceiling, you're going to need an expandable ladder and you can put it in the trunk of your car. I was like, what is this? And he's like, he said he had a massive response of people, you know, just connecting with him, starting conversation with him and actually ultimately leading on to potential opportunities as a result of sharing not just his expandable ladder story, obviously, but other ones too. So social capital you know, is, a, is an underutilized one. And this idea of zero dollars marketing really stuck with me, uh, uh, RJ utilized. Um, it, it can take time, of course, to build your social network or your, your wider network. Um, but there's ways of getting through it a lot quicker. But I think tell everybody what you're doing. But if you've got more reach and scale through these networks, it can, it can attract more people towards you. And it can have even zero cost or very low cost. As well. Yeah, we could probably have like an entire show uh, on just on this, right? But I think uh, to put, a, you know, a couple of thoughts that come to mind are um, a lot of us use social media, like we spend way too much time on it, but it's not directed at uh, a business case necessarily. It's just, 
interacting uh, a bunch of crap, right? Like who ate what and where am I right now? And here's a picture of this or that, right? Which is fine. Uh, but, you know, like you said, RJ has found a way to build relationships with people that usually then eventually come outside of social media. Like the relationship is made and now let's find some ways to work together. He's done a great job with that. In fact, he's, uh, we have this million dollar meeting coming up here in just a couple of weeks. He's actually presenting just on that actually. Uh, same topic, yeah, very similar. So awesome, that's great. I don't know if you want me to go through any other examples, but. Sure, um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, another one, the second one I mentioned was knowledge capital. And um, you know, we've got traditional forms of knowledge. You know, formal education would be an example. Right. Uh, we've got things like professional accreditations and qualifications uh, would be other sort of examples. But we've also got less obvious ones and more subtle ones. So just understanding um, rules and regulations, um, policies and procedures, codes, etc. And then learning, you know, once we understand these, uh, so in the UK, for example, a lot of what I'm doing at the moment is what is, is under what uh, is converting commercial property into residential property. And I know that doesn't necessarily fully translate to the US market, but the principle is actually the reason why I'm doing some of this right now is utilizing something called permitted development rights. So it's, if you can think of coding, um, sorry, zoning, I get the right wrong, wrong yeah. language, zoning in the US, it's like it's pre-approved pre-approve this conversion. So you don't have to go through a, an approval pro process and wait for it to be to be done. And you can convert in the in the UK, a, a commercial building. I don't know if you're going to hear these sirens or not for me. Oh, you're fine. These uh, commercial buildings in the UK uh, are worth less per square foot or square meter than, than residential. So just by arbitrage, to use a phrase we, we talked about earlier, right. change, you can actually improve that value. So there's lots of examples like that. You yeah. can utilize knowledge to actually gain and make you know gain gain extra uh, benefit in your in your real estate transaction. Yeah, so somebody that knows that that knows that information that has value for you that you're able to leverage. Truthfully, for them, uh, the other side of that is for somebody that has a lot of knowledge. Like I do a lot of coaching and mentoring. I have certain relationships. Like people often, I, I'm not. By the way, I'm not asking for anything for anybody that's listening right now. But somebody yesterday sent me a message. Somebody that I won't say who it is, but somebody that has a big platform said, Hey, if you can help me with this, then I'd like, here's how you would benefit from that. Right. Just cause they knew I could make a connection and help them with something. And it's not something that I have time for, but if you have a right, the right set of knowledge, you can insert yourself into deals and into all sorts of things because that knowledge is worth sometimes more than money. Right. Well, we're in the knowledge economy. And if yeah. you look at, if you look at what are the big um, corporations in the U S are doing, there's this like this patent war. Um, there's, you know, registering intellectual property rights and then fighting over who owns what. It's like a land grab of intellectual property. Now, we're opposite. That's like corporate land. You know, we're not operating in, in this sort of corporate America or corporate global corporate business. But, you know, we can learn a lot from what they're doing. And, you know, absolutely right. But our knowledge we, has, a, has a real value. But equally, just to flip, flip it a little bit, human capital is what it sounds like. But we can leverage other people's um, knowledge, you know, through human capital as well. So sure. that's why we, we can have our own knowledge capital, but we can leverage other people's knowledge capital with the idea of human capital as well. So, so for example, I have somebody in my team. He's not. He, he's a contractor or a service provider. He's not. 
an employee and he's not a partner, but he's got 30 years of experience as a building surveyor. He's a planning consultant. He knows lots of people locally. And he's brought me 75% of the deals I've done in the last 12 months. Wow. So we're leveraging, we're layering. So what I'm saying here now is so we've got, we've got the different components of capital, but we can also start to layer them. So it's just put one on top of the other, but we can also start to leverage them, which is to multiply, multiply and magnify the effect of those. And so networking and social media is a good example of how to do that. So That's great. So talk a little bit about, so um, we talked about the financial stuff. That's the most obvious one, right? Is financial uh, capital. So talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the natural one, the one you said at the end, that sounds uh, the most unnatural in that group, which uh, tell us a little bit about the natural capital. Well, the, are you using the, natural resources? Is that what you're? Okay. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be land, it'd be solar, power, solar, wind, you know, et cetera. Things that are freely, you know, we're not freely available necessarily, but available naturally. Right. So in the UK, we have, the Queen owns most of the land. Uh, um, so we're not as privileged maybe to have her rights and privileges. Um, but what, you know, so just an example. Secretly, she actually owns most of the US too, and nobody just talks about it. <laughs> That's a whole nother, uh, I don't want to start a conspiracy theory here, but. Uh, I, I can't change that. We'll have to get a sort of fact checker on this one. <laughs> but uh, but so, so for example, um, I've got a development going on at the moment, and one of the issues was energy for the development. It's, an, it's you know, it, we had to upgrade the energy supply. And I was very keen to try and look at a sustainable energy. And so we looked at fitting solar uh, panels to the roofs. And we also looked at alternatives as well, which weren't that viable. So there is a viability element to it. But the point of having the solar energy, apart from it being sustainable and therefore a good thing to do for that reason, it also meant I became an energy supplier. Mm. Um, that had a return on investment in itself, um, which improved the returns on that particular transaction, um, as well as you know, providing energy for the occupants of the building and you know, help to sort of improve the, the returns as well as having the green sustainability agenda as well. So that's great. It, ironically though, natural capital is probably one of my lesser capitals that I still need to work on. So I can't give you lots of examples. <laughs> but just to get us thinking in a slightly different way that how can we utilize some of the natural resources around us? One of the obvious ways is that, you know, we can use some, uh, some land that hasn't been developed. Um, that would be an obvious. Sure. Way. Sure. That's great. I think uh, as a whole, I, what I want people, you know, we kind of said this show is about thinking bigger, uh, not thinking small anymore. And one of the things that I would say in our, like an investor, investor fuel mastermind, a lot of people, the common theme I would say is people that are operating at a higher level, are often thinking, who do I know or who do I know that knows somebody that could help me do what I want to do, right? There's a lot more JV type activity, ways to work together, to collaborate, because I think you get to a point to where in this business or any business, you have capacity issues yourself. You either don't know stuff or you don't know how to do it or you don't have the funding you need or whatever, but it doesn't mean it's not out there. It just means you're not connected to it yet, right? Yeah, uh, you know, we, we, we have limitations on our own resources, time being one of them, right. um, you know, and our own knowledge being, being another one, um, skills, you know, again. So I think having people around us, there's a phrase I, I like to use in this sort of situation is that uh, people who know how usually end up working for people who know why. 
I'd like to think that you and I might know why, and that you know we're surrounding ourselves with people who know how. Now that doesn't sound terribly win-win, uh, and, and so you know I think there has to be a give and a get out of this as well. It's not just taking from people, but generally speaking, the, the you know everyday people, um, you know the guy I was talk, talking about with thirty years experience, he's not super ambitious. He knows far more than me um, in his field of specialty, but you know we're working together, and he's very happy with what he's doing and the arrangement we have. And I'm very happy to have him on the team because he knows so much more than me. Right. So yes, I totally agree with you. Working in collaboration, in partnerships, whatever form that takes, and having access to the skills and resources. Like for example, when you do bigger deals, you can afford more resources. You can afford more specialist um, professionals to come in and support you. In fact, you have a line item in your in your uh, budget to provide for exactly that. Whereas on a single on a, on a single family flip, for example, it, it's it's me or it's me or it's me, you know, doing that same thing. Right. Right. Yeah. There's this, uh, and there's also this, you know, in terms of thinking bigger and thinking outside of the box, how do I solve these things? And I don't know who knows this, but let me go. Like I'm investing in multifamily deals. Now I've been doing it for, we just got our third deal under contract. I don't know how to do 90% of what has to get done, but I found somebody that does and I plugged into their system and their knowledge. Right. And so I think a lot of times we're also one of the things that, holds us back as entrepreneurs and even as real estate investors sometime is, especially if you started in the single family house game and you're doing deals, you found the deal, you found funding for it, you flipped it or whatever, or you got under contract and then you sold it is it's all you. And it's, sometimes it's hard for us to break out of like, well, why would I give up half the profit to somebody else to partner with them? And it's like, well, what if together instead, you know, maybe each deal is half the profit, but what if you could do five times more deals, right? And, and I think it's that real, that's a, it's really probably more of a business maturity thing. You get to the point where you're like, huh, I can grow faster. And yes, my piece is smaller, but I'm collaborating. And therefore, by the way, it's more fun too, because you're not by yourself. Well, I think sometimes you need to give to get. And I think, um, so you give, give away more, you give half your profit, it's a lot. But, you know, uh, so for example, the, some of the conversion development deals I'm doing at the moment, they have a higher profitability than some of the single family stuff I was doing in the past. Sure. So the cake is bigger. So my half of the cake is, is, is bigger as a result. And so, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. If you collaborate with other people and you, you know, give something up, um, you're going to get more in the end. And I think I also agree with what your sentiment of um, you know, working in isolation is you know it's a lonely old game sometimes. Sure. Uh, in fact, you know, on a very serious note, it could lead to mental health issues. You know, <laughs> no, I mean I, I'm not joking. It's limiting, it's limiting right? Yeah. 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 So even if it's just your well-being, it's a good idea just to get out there. In fact, I had this conversation recently with somebody I'm working with, and he said I'm really struggling to to get things done. And I said, well, you know, what's your environment? He said, well, I'm working from home, um, and the kids are on holiday. And I can't seem to get anything done. And I said, well, is there a co-working space near, near where you live? He said, yeah, there's one fairly close by. I said, well, I suggest at least one day a week, or a couple of days a week, you go there and you just sit there and work for the day. And he reported back to me after the first day. He met new people. He was much more productive. Uh, obviously, there's the focus. He was in flow. But he also started to you know, get this human contact. Um, these people are maybe in a different field to him. But it was the start of that journey. He's now incidentally working with uh, someone he met at a networking meeting. They're going to do a JV together, you know, and, and he's progressing at a faster rate 
as a result of that. Yeah, so that's awesome. That's awesome. I too work with lots of uh, third parties um, on my projects. In fact, that was a game changer uh, for me. As I mentioned, I was I had access to um, alternative sources of finance, but also people, you know, who bring in different ideas and different viewpoints, which is really, really good. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Richard, uh, what, what, maybe you could share what, what do you, what's some advice you would give to people? The theme of our, of our, uh, show here today is about going bigger, you know, stop thinking small, if that's what you're doing now, uh, kind of know that the sky is the limit. So you, you started, you were in corporate or you were in the corporate world, did a deal and it probably liberated you. You realized, wow, I, how much, uh, money you could make or help you towards your retirement. And now you're investing in multiple countries. Now you're starting to do bigger deals because you're thinking bigger, you know, based on um, knowing that maybe if you could compare yourself, you're probably thinking bigger today. You obviously were thinking probably small when you worked for somebody else. Help, help people bridge that gap. What's the single biggest lesson to how they could start to just kind of think bigger and uh, be willing to take on uh, bigger opportunities? Well, there's more than one thing, but I think first thing obviously is with our own mindset. And so, the way to help with you know expanding the mindset is to be well read uh, now that's an old phrase to be well read because in the modern day we we're watching a video of one another and so you know it's just knowledge resources have access to knowledge resources open your mind to different ways of thinking um from different types of uh, people so i listen to uh podcasts for example on science and you know other topics which gives me ideas um, just because you know, and obviously, people who are ahead of me. This is the second point, really. Um, people who are ahead of me in the journey. Uh, I can I can learn from and copy and perhaps you know in a mirror. But I think the the other thing I really wanted to say was is is have a ch- someone who can challenge you to your your way of thinking. I think I mentioned that I the the person who's helping me write a book challenged me. I was like, hey, I'm doing pretty well now. You know, um, you know, it's almost slightly defensive you know, when when she first did. But then I thought about it for. No, absolutely right. So instead of thinking, how do I find a couple more investors who can bring X, X hundreds of thousands, X millions of dollars to me? Why don't I go for a bond, you know, with like 10, 50 million or something? And, and then suddenly it goes into the subconscious again. So she challenged me. And as a result of her challenging me, I was able to start thinking in a new way. But so really it's getting access to information, people, who can help us to expand the horizons and challenge our thinking so that, you know, we don't put um, a glass ceiling on our, on our capabilities. That's probably the biggest, biggest yeah. way I'd answer. So to set the scene a little bit, um, Mike and I framed our conversation um, around an article that I wrote for YPN magazine recently, which, uh, which was called Going Large. And incidentally, if you didn't know already, you can access all of the back catalogues of uh, the articles that I've written for YPN on a subscription-free basis just by asking my assistant, Karen, to grant you access what you need to do is drop Karen an email, admin at thepropertyvoice.net, and ask uh, to get free access to the YPN articles, uh, subscription free if you want to put all that in, but they are. And uh, besides her being slightly freaked out that you now know her name, she'll gladly grant you access, I'm sure.
Well, as I mentioned, the, the basis of our conversation with Mike um, was around an idea of mine that I call the eight different types of capital. Uh, and just as a refresher, these are financial capital, knowledge, social, emotional or spiritual, systems, human, brand and natural, all different versions of capital. There may be other ones. I've had this discussion with other people, but they kind of more or less boil down to those sort of categories. However, as you, that was all covered in the, uh, in the conversation I had. And if you want to check out the article, you'll see more about it there too. But in addition, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other elements that allowed me to grow my property business by five times over the last 12, 12 to 18 months. And um, I guess when I thought about it, there were a number of key elements or key steps to this. Uh, I think there were four. Well, there's four I'm going to outline. I'm going to come back with a couple more at the end. So the first one was leads. So this is access to quality leads at the larger end of the property deal spectrum. I call it large for me, this is. Of course, as people who are doing multi, multi-million pound, multi-policy unit deals, I'm not quite in that category, but they were larger than what I was doing. So it's just having access to the higher level. So whatever level you're at, you need access to the higher level, of course, to be able to go large. So where do you find larger projects then? Well, some of them, as I like to say, are actually hiding in plain sight. So, for example, I'm currently in the process of acquiring no less than three conversion and quasi-conversion development projects that are on the open market. Rightmove Commercial and the commercial agents are a good source for such opportunities. And with people being spooked by Brexit right now, it has uh, less competition for opportunities with permitted development or pre-existing planning approval in certain areas. Of course, you can go for full-on planning gain as well, but I tend to go for those more secure opportunities. Another great source of leads of late has been referrals from people in my network and be they service providers such as planning consultants, architects and so on or fellow investors and developers that know what I'm looking for and if I say I'll do it, I definitely will. So that's the first one then, leads. The, the second category to, to come into is funding. So this is access to development and equity finance in particular at enough scale to be able to undertake those larger projects that I'm uncovering. So of course we know about buy-to-let mortgages and bridging finance. And of course we had a whole series on, on alternative financing methods, so I'm talking about some specific ones. And um, none of the more commonplace sources of institutional funds provides funding deep into the conversion and development costs of larger projects. And this is where development finance and equity finance come in to play, uh, sorry, to plug the gap the, uh, in case, uh, or rather, unless we have a bottomless pit of cash, that is, of course. And there's essentially five layers, I guess, of funding in a larger conversion or development uh, develop, development project. The first one is, is senior debt, which is used typically for purchasing the property. It's just a fancy name of saying, you know, bridging finance, essentially. Uh, typically, this would be uh, up to 75% of the purchase price of the property. The next level up is what they call stretched senior debt. And this is usually where it's uh, secured lending or secured funding up to 85% of the purchase price, hence the stretch. So 75% typically for senior debt up to around about 85% for stretched senior debt. And then we have mezzanine finance or sometimes abbreviated to MEZ, uh, taking the funding above the purchase price and into the funding of the works or development costs at a percentage of the gross development cost or alternatively the gross development value. Different funders have different criteria, but the point is it takes you beyond the purchase price and into the funding, the development cost as well. 
And next we have external debt and equity, which is typically provided from private lenders and private investors. So even the mezzanine finance is typically provided by institutions, albeit not on such a grand scale. Whereas you know, external debt and equity here I'm really, is really coming from private lenders and investors, and I guess you could add boutique you know, investment firms, etc., into this sort of category. And then the fifth area is developer equity itself. So that's, that's people like me, my own equity, my own cash stake in the, in the particular project. And it, isn't, it is actually possible to fund a development project with less than 15% of the total development costs, utilizing many of these additional forms of finance. In fact, actually, I'd go to say 100% in some cases. But you know, I just want to paint a realistic picture of what's available. So there, so there we go, uh, funding, um, in particular, access to development finance and equity finance. The third category is expertise, and this is um, access to the skills and indeed the expertise or competencies required to deliver these projects safely and securely. There's lots of things I could talk about here. In fact, in the show notes, I plan to talk a bit more about it. But as we move into larger projects, we'll, we'll need a larger team around us too. Uh, this also costs money, but with a larger project, we also get uh, a larger budget to play with as well. So there's more opportunity to bring in and pay for additional expertise to support us. And we don't need to be experts. We need to be able to bring in and coordinate the experts to support our development projects. And some of the, some of the expertise we might look at are in the areas of acquisition, uh, advisory, building and construction, trades, lettings, etc. There's more detail in the show notes. I'll refer you to that. And there's many ways to find such experts, such as the industry and professional membership membership listings, social proof through review sites and recommendations. Uh, public forums and sources and things like that. But uh, the best way is really referral and recommendation. So, uh, you, know, let's go, you know, go with someone who's been recommended to you from a source that you actually trust. So there we go, and that was the third category. The fourth one is systems. And this is access to the systems and processes that will allow us to scale or grow. And when I originally prepared you know, this list, uh, the first list of three uh, for my apprentice community, I actually omitted out the systems and processes probably because it's one of my weakest areas personally, but it's also one of the most important areas if we're going to grow and scale our business as well. So for example, I'm currently operating eight different projects at various stages of the development project lifecycle. And I, can't, I couldn't do this without having development criteria checklists, project plans, cash flow forecasts, schedules of work, standard contracts, and so on. And this is perhaps my, as I mentioned, my own personal development area going forward as I step into these more complex areas. So I'm still learning and growing as I step up, but that's all part of the process. It's all part of the journey for all of us. So they're the four areas, if you like, on top of the eight forms of capital that uh, I talked about, which is enabling me to scale and you know, obviously stimulated this conversation, the conversation I had with Mike. Now, what are the other elements I just wanted to highlight? Um, maybe this podcast is going to be a little bit longer than I was expecting, but um, there's a couple of other extra pieces I just wanted to bring out there. Uh, I kind of touched on it when I talked to Mike, if you picked it up, but they were layering, leveraging, and mindset. So layering is putting different elements on top of one another, literally, layer upon layer. So for example, we could have uh, financial capital and brand capital layered on top, which of course creates a bigger output than would otherwise be the case. So I like to call that addition. So layering is like addition. Whereas uh, leveraging, on the other hand, is where we can amplify or project ourselves by multiplication. So if, if layering is addition, leveraging is multiplication. And it, you could even say it's exponential. 
but you know, I don't want to get in too much into the maths here because it's more of an illustration. But what I mean here is, so, so for example, we could broadcast our message through our network, um, our network reach. We could be able, or maybe we could uh, seemingly work 24-7 across different time zones, uh, even as we sleep, by utilizing systems, for example. So we, that, that, these two things together, layering and leveraging, or obviously if we add them together, creates a bigger output as well. So I don't want to go into it too much because otherwise we'll go too long on today's conversation, but just hold that thought. But I kind of did finish, Mike asked me, what's the one thing? And I said, there's more than one thing. But he said, what's the one thing that uh, enables you to do bigger deals? And I said, it's mindset. In other words, it's, it's being able to think bigger. So to break through the glass, uh, glass ceiling, look laterally, and, um, and, and just get rid of some of the limiting beliefs and replace it instead with what I like to call possibility thinking instead. So don't think things like, I can't do this because. Instead, think, how can I do this? So if reframing, you know, negative, you know, self-talk and doubt as a question, which takes us into possibility thinking, which, by the way, gets our subconscious minds working on the problem. But again, that's probably another conversation. And if we apply possibility thinking and elevate our horizon or scale our thinking, then something magical actually starts to happen. Bigger opportunities and solutions start to present themselves. People and resources start to enter into our lives almost miraculously. And then the impossible becomes possible as well. So that's what I wanted to share uh, this week. Uh, my own property business has scaled quite a lot over the last year or so. And there's no doubt there's been some growing pains along the way, which I'll pick up another time, actually. But we, we're never free from struggle or challenge, no matter what level we operate at. Personally, I'm just pleased that, to be in the position that I am, which is largely down to some of the content from today's show. And around 10 years of experience and learning and mistakes and good fortune and so on and so forth along the way as well. But there we go. That's all from this week. I'll leave it at that. Uh, do remember, you can, if you want to talk about anything from today's show, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And of course, if you want to talk to me, drop me an email, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'll be more than happy to hear from you. Uh, but I guess all that remains to be said right now is thanks very much for listening once again this week. And uh, until next time on the Property Voice Podcast, it's Ciao Ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.